Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. go here we are with the principles of performance podcast we are on episode number 29 and i am your host eric degatti and want to welcome you to the show and and welcome my good friend mike perry my co-host as well mike how are you today just uh living the dream you know it's a it's a, it's a beautiful day here in, in in sunny boston it's uh i think we hit a high of like 28 so it's uh you know, it's getting a little crazy here. We're, we're, we're almost ready for, uh, you know, a little bit more iced coffee and shorts weather. So we're good to go. Well, speaking of people who are struggling with the weather, our, our next guest is from Southern California. And he was telling us about his struggles earlier before we went live of how he had to put on a sweater because it's it's almost as low as 60 degrees in, in San Diego. So he is yeah. he is a warrior. He truly is a warrior. But um, <laughs> let's tell you about who we have here. We have our good friend, Mike Diebler. Uh, and we're going to talk about training for obstacle course racing, or as the cool kids say, Mike, OCR. All right. Um, and uh Mike's been a coach and personal trainer for over 20 years. He has his master's in exercise science from University of Florida, uh, and he's the owner of San Diego Premier Training, uh, SDPT. It's a private personal training studio in La Costa, California. It's an awesome place. I got an opportunity to go there. Really, really cool place. Awesome energy and vibe, and they do great stuff there. He's also the education director for Exercise, et cetera, and he's a lead instructor for functional movement systems, and that's how uh, we all met. We've taught a couple courses together, which has been fun. But he's also a competitive OCR athlete, uh, as well as a coach to other OCR athletes. And he's a contributing author to OCR Underground and has written his own book on obstacle course race uh, preparation titled Fuel and Fire, Dominate Obstacle Course Racing with Scientific Training Strategies Fueled by Nutrition. Welcome to the show, Mike Diebler. Hey, I am honored. It's been too long since I've seen both of you. So uh, this is going to be fun catching up and, uh, and talking about a topic that I love to, to talk about with OCR. And, it, and, you know, I lied. It's 66 right now. It just feels like 60, I think. So it's it's a little chilly. Did you have to do some Wim Hof breathing before you went outside today? You know, yeah. When you got to get the mail, you got to prepare for it. It's, uh, you know, when you have your flip flops on, it's cold. You got to do what you do. And uh, before we, you know, before we start the podcast, I just want to say, Mike, thank you for braving that uh, weather um, you know, it's uh, you're inspiring millions and millions uh, through this podcast today. So we truly appreciate that. But uh, all right, we're going to we're going to dive right in. How did you get into OCR racing and uh, what are some of the events that you've personally done? Yeah, so I got into it. So my first race um, was back, I think, in 2013. And it was one of those things where I kept hearing about it and really had no interest. Um, didn't really want to get involved. I'm not. You know, I was an athlete in college, but I was a, a high jumper. So I was built for like, you take eight steps and you jump and then you rest for 10 minutes. And that was my exertion. And the idea of running 5Ks, you know, I would do it for fun, fundraisers, things like that, but just had no interest. But all these clients kept coming up and, hey, have you heard of Tough Mudder and Spartan and, and all these different things that were coming around? And I was just like, I've heard of them. I really have no idea. I think you get muddy, not sure you run, you do some stuff. So uh, eventually I was talking to my wife and we were like, we probably should do one of these because we're getting so many questions. And honestly, we don't have good answers because we just have never done it before. Um, so we signed up for one. I just was dreading it. I really didn't want to do it. And uh, we, we got to the race and, you know, it's kind of cool. It's just exciting. The music's pumping and tons of people out there and you're kind of seeing all the, the hype around it. And then we did it and kind of got my butt kicked and was like, I could have definitely done better and I want to do that again. 
And then I signed up immediately for another one and actually trained a little bit for it now that I kind of knew what was going on. And uh, really then from there, it just kind of caught that bug where I just saw so many ways to improve. And then I had clients that were getting more into it. And and between all of that, it turned into doing, you know, 10, 15 races a year um, in some form. So primarily I stuck with Spartan Race. Um, but I've done a few other ones, some boot camp challenges, uh, epic series, uh, varying distances as short as uh, like 5K distance, as long as um, uh, 30 miles. So um, kind of crazy to even say that, you know, going from no running background to actually completing a, over a marathon with with obstacles, you know, 60 plus obstacles in there. So um, yeah, it's just, it's just, it, it really just caught my attention, you know, after my athletic career was over, you know, high jumping is not really something you go do for fun. Like you don't go to the park and like, Hey, let's go jump over something. Um, so I really didn't have a whole lot to like fill that, that competitive bug. And um, once I did this and had some success at it, it, it kind of just got me excited again about um, uh, competing. But also I think what a lot of clients enjoy is having a date and something specific to train for versus you know if you've just been working out to work out like a lot of our clients or general population and just you know trying to lose some weight improve fitness which is awesome but when you have a something specific to to shoot for it's a nice motivator if you've been kind of stuck in a rut for a while so that kind of how how i first got got into it and and what made me stick with it so this you're basically shamed to do that first yeah <laughs> what's that no, I was saying you were basically shamed into it a little bit at first, and then you got the bug. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and it's just funny. Like me and my wife talking about it. Like, do we really want to do this? We could back out, and then <laughs> we, you know, it's like a lot of things. You're just you're kind of afraid of the unknown, and then you do it, and you're like, it wasn't so bad, and I actually kind of liked it, and and I just kept kept going from there. Shame and guilt both work. Um, but, uh, there's a great book I'm thinking of as you're telling this, this story, Mike, um, what does not kill us, um, by Scott Carney. And the, the book was yeah. the, the, the theme of the book was originally, uh, Scott's as science writer was originally to be, he kind of debunks like people, these, uh, mysticism, you know, type of things in fitness and health. And his thing was to debunk Wim Hof actually. And, uh, and he ended up, you know, turning it completely around and becoming a huge, uh, a follower of his, but along the way, he talked about this primal need that we have as human beings to be challenged. And, and I think OCR really speaks to that. And he talks about the history of, of obstacle course racing and the, in the, the foundations of how now it's become a, you know, gone from this, you know, challenge of a couple buddies that started out and now became more and more. And now it's a, a complete industry that's, that's been built around it. So in, in kind of speaking to that, I got a couple of questions. Are, are, are OCRs kind of standardized in terms of length and duration? Or is there like, I know there's like you would have with, there's obviously marathons and half marathons and 5Ks. And, and how does it work with OCR races in terms of standardization of the races themselves? So it's kind of funny. Initially, they were not standardized at all. They'd have like a rough estimate. Like you're going to run about three miles, but you would get there and maybe run five or six. Um, they, I think they kind of like that aspect of it, of you're going to be in this realm of a distance, but we don't want to tell you what you're actually getting into, you know, it'd be close, but could be off by a couple miles. Um, but the OCR world is trying to make a push actually for the Olympics. They want to make it an Olympic event. And they're obviously realizing if that's the case, we do have to have standardization and similarities between different events so you're seeing it more and more where they are having standard standard distances but they range they still range all over the place so uh something like that you might see like a, a short course like a 3k um real real quick just a bunch of obstacles you got to get through it as fast as you can so that's becoming it seems like where they're pushing the events but they still have a lot of the longer duration things um, but you're going to see a, a variety. Uh, you'll have your 5K, you'll have your 10K, you'll have your marathon, you'll have your ultra uh, distances. So again, they won't be exact, but you're going to get somewhere somewhere in that realm across all the different types of OCR out there. Now, as part of the draw, almost like a, a CrossFit Games where they're not going to let you know what's happening because they want you to kind of be prepared for everything. And that's part of the 
the uh, the competition is that you need to kind of be prepared for whatever gets thrown at you? It, it definitely used to be. They would give you a map and basically say, here's the course. So you kind of can see where you're going. Um, they would tell you what some of the obstacles were, but then they'd also leave some like mystery obstacles that you just wouldn't know until, until you got there. Um, but again, they've kind of gotten away from that. And I think they want to make it more for people to prepare. Uh, so uh, each... A brand, you know, like Spartan or or Tough Mudder, you know, some of the big ones, they seem they have their obstacles, right? And they're they're similar, but you know, whatever they call their monkey bars or or whatever it might be. Um, so you're you're seeing a little bit more uh, standardized obstacles, so you kind of know what you're getting into. And and they, I think they want people to be successful, and they want them to do it again. So they want them to have an idea of you're going to be doing these things uh, when you get to the race. So. Um, that being said, you know, Spartan being the one I do the most, they usually release the map about the week of to a couple of days before. So it's not like you have six months that, you know, here's what the course is going to be. You know, typically these are the obstacles I'm going to face so I can prepare for those, but I really won't know what I'm getting into about the week of for it. So with that level of variability and, and level of surprise, really, how do you even begin as, as a coach to, to start mapping out a training plan when, you know, part of what we do is training for specificity, um, you know, when you don't have the knowledge of the specific demands that they're, they're going to encounter. Yeah. And, and to even throw a, another layer on top of that is even if you know, can you, can you do the obstacle? Like, do you have monkey bars set up? Do you have a rope? You know, some of these you'll find they're more and more common at gyms, but there's many obstacles out there that there's just no way you are going to be able to do that specific obstacle. Uh, that being said, I think if we break it down to the essential skills needed for most of the obstacles, that's really what we're training for. Um, so like number one, I think what most people miss out on with, with OCR is they're so caught up on the, the like grip obstacles, the, the strongman stuff, right? Like carrying stuff, climbing over stuff, jumping, hanging, um, which are all important. We really have to get those those skills in, but they forget it is a race. And running is the most important obstacle you're going to have to overcome. And most likely it's a trail. And if you're not used to trail running, that can cause a lot of problems. Like, are you used to climbing up a mountain? Are you used to getting down from a mountain? Some of these uh, inclines and declines are pretty steep. Um, and a lot of injuries happen right there where they're just not ready for that kind of demand on the body. So the first step I feel like is you, you do need to be a runner if you're going to do a lot of these, uh, these types of events, because typically the minimum is a 5k. So a 5k trail run, you need to be able to prepare for something like that. So that we know. So there's very specific things that we can do to help somebody be a better trail, trail runner, getting out in the trails, having a strength program that's going to support that, um, just running in general, if they don't, they don't run at all, hiking, lots of different things we can do there. Uh, when we look at the other obstacles that, you know, most people are thinking of when they when they think of an obstacle course race, we know it's going to be some type of, of lifting, right? So do we have that basic strength that we can at least build on, right? If you can deadlift a decent amount of weight, and if I had, I know you have a pretty good grip strength, it's not like um, for most of these events, you're not lifting like five, 600 pounds where you just need this incredible amount of strength. You need decent strength that you have some endurance with um, that strength endurance where you can maintain over the course of this, this uh, event or competition. So we, we train for like those specific things. Um, I know you're going to have to hang. I know you're going to have to climb. I know you're going to have to crawl. So those are like the things, and I know you can do those, whether it's in our facility, if, if you're at home, you know, at a, a, a just a traditional gym, whatever it might be you're gonna have access to those things. So we really just dial in those, kind of like looking at movement patterns, right? Like get the basic movement patterns down before you do anything crazy on top of that. So that's a, a kind of approach it the same way. You're gonna face a whole bunch of different things out there, but before we even get to that stuff, I'm gonna build the foundation of, of running, of crawling, climbing, and carrying, right? You can do those things. You're gonna be able to take on a decent amount of these obstacles. And that's, I think a great starting point for most people. So as far as sort of, you know, bare minimums, like if, if I were to say to you, all right, Mike, I want to run, uh, I want to run a race in six months. Um, what should be sort of the bare minimum, what I should be able to do? Like, what should it be X amount of, of pull-ups, X amount of uh, hanging for time? Uh, how much should I be able to run from a distance standpoint? If you had to give people some simple advice on like, 
what are some baseline minimums that they should be able to do? What would that look like? Yeah, so I think it'll depend on a couple of things. Uh, just because OCR in general, and I think a lot of people are, are combining OCR and like hybrid events now, where you see like almost um, like fitness challenges, so or combinations like a race I just did recently. It was like a combination of an obstacle course and a strongman competition. So you're doing an obstacle course, jumping over walls, carrying stuff, farmers carries all things like that uh, for time. Once you finish, you move over to a strongman event where you have basically a lane of uh, weights you're lifting, sandbags, tire flips, things like that, a truck pull. Um, so just using that as kind of an example, if there's a particular skill you need, like you're going to have to do a lift. Like in that one, you actually had to do a clean and press. You had to do a deadlift. And we knew the specific weights. So that's a little easier, right? I know there's a, a technical lift you're going to have to do in this kind of event. So I need to make sure, can you at least lift those weights for whatever reps that they, that they are? Um, so that's kind of a unique thing there. So you have some, some specifics. If it's more like traditional OCR, um, I usually tell people all of them have an open category where it's purely for fun. So I would look at it this way. It's going to be, let's say, a 5K. You're going to do a, a, a shorter race. Have you ever walked a 5K before or hiked, I would probably say, because there's going to be some, some inclines in there. Um, a lot of times I just say, go do it. And obviously we're going to train for it, but uh, you don't have to do anything there. Like you could literally walk the race and skip every obstacle if you wanted to do that. And while not many people are going to do that, there is that opportunity. If you really didn't want to do something, I just want people to see it because I think that's, that's the scary part. You just don't know what you're getting into. So we're going to uh, get you training some basic things. And we can just start with that, test it out, see if this is something you even enjoy. Um, but to kind of go back to your question of, okay, you there are probably some minimums that you really want to make sure sure that you're you're hitting if if you're going to attempt all of these these obstacles. Um, I think you kind of hit some already. You know, being having the FMS background, I actually use the FCS for a lot of these different things to kind of set some of those minimums. And I think I know grip is going to be a big challenge for most people with a lot of these obstacles. Um, so looking at a farmer's carry, looking at our different hangs. So we'll, we'll do a farmer's carry, again, just using FCF standards to see, to at least hit some minimums there based on your, your body weight for, for distance and time. Um, and then hanging, can we do at least a minute dead hang? Can we do uh, at least 30 seconds uh, of a flex arm hang? Um, and I think if I can get those three things there, you're going to be well off on being able to at least have the the capacity to take on most of the those types of obstacles that you see. Maybe not everything, but I think you have a great a great starting point there. Um, so that's kind of the minimum uh, I would look at for in terms of strength levels. And then obviously with running too, it's it kind of comes down to um, the time on your feet. Are you used to just being on your feet doing things for X amount of time? So. The hard part with OCR is I might say 5K and you might be thinking, well, I can run 5K in uh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. This is not a five road race, right? One, you're on trail. It's going to be hill climbs. You may not be able to run the entire thing and you're doing, you know, 20, 30 obstacles along the way. So that, you know, 20 minute 5K race that you do, you may want to triple that time because that's how long it's going to take you to get through a 5k. So being able to hike for an hour over, you know, relatively uh, steep inclines, can you do that? Do you have this basic level of grip strength? I think you have a great starting point to at least get through this with, with relative success. So as I'm listening to this, I'm get, I'm talking myself out of a race. Um, you know, as in, in the irony isn't the events that scare me because I've had a couple of clients ask me to do it with them is, is the running part it is not being a runner. You know, I said, if you can get me a golf cart to go from event to event, then I'm good. But, um, it's that, that the running part is definitely the intimidating part for me. So looking at like, are there certain archetypes that are best suited, but kind of best built from, uh, either their their kinematics or in terms of physiology that seem to to kind of always be the head of the pack that seem to to thrive really well in OCR racing. 
Yeah. And you know, it's the runners. It's the, the, those that come from the running background that, that tend to do the best because they're just built for that endurance. Um, they're, you know, they, they're okay going to that pain cave and being there for a while. And I think, I know that's something I struggle with, right? It gets hard. It's really easy to back off. And you have these guys that will, and girls who will uh, get there and they're okay. They're just going to get comfortable in that position and, and push through, but they have the speed. Um, I remember, so the, the first time, the first few races I did, I had a, you know, pretty good strength background. I could get through all of the obstacles. Like I, you know, used to do like the Ninja Warrior stuff and had fun with, with all those different things. So it was very rare that I would fail an obstacle. And initially I would do pretty well in these races being a very mediocre runner. That That's probably being nice to myself, <laughs> um, but an okay runner, but I'm not going to fail an obstacle. So there's a penalty if you fail. So obviously that's going to slow you down. Um, and I would do pretty well, but then you start to see these endurance guys coming over and initially they'd fail obstacles and catch up to me. And they're just that much faster at running than, than I am. So I might pass them on the obstacle. I see them uh, doing their penalty. And then five minutes later, they've caught up to me and they're, and then now they're passing me. Uh, so, and then these endurance guys, you see, they realize I need to get stronger. So now they just put a little bit more strength behind, you know, that typical endurance athlete, not that they're not strong, but you know, it's a different type of strength that they're working with. They put on this type of muscle that they need to, to still be fast, but be able to do some of these obstacles. And they're just really tough to beat because they have such a strong background in that endurance capacity. So I find myself working with clients that they want to take it to the next level. They want to get on the podium um, for these races and that's usually our first step is we have to turn you into an endurance athlete. You, you, you need to be a really good trail runner if you want to compete. Like, yep, we need the strength for the obstacles, but the guys that are that are just crushing it out there, that's and then the girls, that's what they're good at. They're they're just built for the endurance. It's not the answer I was hoping for, Mike. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not not my archetype. You know, I, I, another sport I'm I'm not built for, Perry. <laughs> I'm, I'm discovering more and more. I'm, I have a body built for running a pizzeria. Um, so <laughs> when you have, when you have all these multiple attributes from balance to strength, to power to endurance, how do you kind of divide your training time to kind of meet all this stuff? Yeah, that, that's the, obviously the challenge. Um, but I think when we take the time to kind of look at where that client, that person is right now, it at least points points the uh, the direction on where we need to go, right? So, you know, we know the analogy of buckets comes up a lot, right? Like looking at the buckets, is it strength, endurance, movement, um, whatever it might be, and seeing where where that, which bucket needs the most uh, most water in it. And, and that's really the same approach that I'll take for this. So, um, like I said, I, I typically will see the person that has a ton of strength, right? So they just, they love lifting, um, they can climb the ropes, they can do the monkey bars, they can do all these things. Not that we won't train those things because we want to get more efficient at them. But I know if they're not fast, that that strength's not going to help them. So that that person, we're going to gear towards more endurance training, right? To, to build that, that background. Um, or we have the opposite, right? We have a runner um, that maybe doesn't do much strength work that wants to get into this. They're already a great runner, right? Let's maintain that. Let's make sure you don't lose any of that speed. Um, but I know you're going to need the strength. You can't get across the monkey bars. You don't have that grip strength yet. So now I'm going to focus more on that. So basically taking the time to just evaluate where they currently are right now. So we know what would be the smartest, smartest approach. Um, so that would kind of be the ideal situation. If I have a client, luckily, you know, sometimes I get a long, like long, long term to work with clients. So we can have kind of like almost like in-season, off-season training for, for any sport, right? So now I know, hey, we don't have a race coming up for a while. Let's actually, let's build that strength, right? Or let's build that aerobic base. And we can really focus on maybe that one or two things that I want to spend the most time on. And as we get closer to race season, now we're going to start to, um, you know, get a little bit more race specific and, and work on skills and, and things like that. So really, I think like most sports, right, you you just have to, to have that right plan that makes the most sense for that person. So getting into some of the nitty gritty, you talked about evaluation. And, and if you're talking about people that are trying to get on that podium and, and be at the, at the head of the pack, 
what are some of those key performance indicators and in, in how, how much are you tracking things like relative strength or power or HRV or VO2 max, lactate threshold, body composition? Like, so what are some of the things that you want to really dial in and keep tabs on um, as you're kind of looking at all the gauges and making sure we're on track to be ready for a race? Yeah, I, I think you named actually quite a few of them right there that are, are great starting points. Um, you know, just you, you mentioned body composition. I think that's that's a big piece, right? If if you're trying to be elite or, you know, top of your age group, um, carrying extra weight, whether, you know, if, if it is muscle or fat, like these are things that we have to to consider, right? A bodybuilder trying to run um, is not usually the prettiest, prettiest sight. So we, we have to address things like that. Um, I, I love looking at lactate threshold. Um, again, if, if this is an endurance event, so we, and VO2 max is great. We can look at all of these different things. Uh, I find myself always going back towards lactate threshold because the athlete that can not just have that high VO2 max, but can maintain high intensity of that VO2 max. That's, that's, I think where the magic is for endurance sports. So whether they can do some testing, right? Obviously this is an extra step. Some people might not be willing to do it, but doing some VO2 max testing or metabolic testing where we can get some um, important numbers to, to kind of set that baseline. Because what I wanna know is, I wanna know what your lactate threshold um, heart rate is, right? So that's gonna help me program for you. Cause if I, if I have an idea of what that is, you know, rough estimate of your heart rate, at that level, now I can be a little bit more specific when I'm programming your your interval training or your low intensity days, right? Making sure a lot of the clients that I think get drawn to this type of activity love the high intensity stuff, right? That's all they that's all they do is if I don't get my heart rate up, um, I'm not doing anything. So a lot of times, if we we can educate them, hey, there is that benefit of doing more aerobic based training, especially in some of these longer uh, uh, race events. So making sure that we are, are understanding, hey, lactate threshold, your heart rate, and pacing too. So if I know kind of like your race pace, if if I know for running at your lactate threshold, you're running a, a you know a six minute mile, seven minute mile, whatever the the pacing is. Um, again, it helps me determine what pacing should we be maintaining for for some of our runs, whether it's long distance, low intensity, or or sprint work or hill work or whatever it might be. Um, and, and I think we get some great baseline information too, because it's just like anything, it should improve, right? So they might be saying, hey, I was doing this threshold pace workout and you know my heart rate used to be at like 165 beats per minute. And now I'm maintaining the same pace um, and my heart rate's only at 160, right? Like that's exactly what we're looking for. Actually, we probably have a change now. Your threshold pace is probably a little, maybe at you know, five, 58 or, you know, 550. Now you need to be picking up the pace a little bit. Um, so I love using your, your lactate threshold pace and heart rate as kind of a, a great metric for programming, but also to show some improvement that, that you are getting faster. You're using less energy, your body's becoming more efficient. Um, all of those great things there. So, um, uh, I always like to start with that, whether it's, they are going to do some testing um and 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 be able to get that done we do it at our facility because it, it just I, I think it's just such a useful tool to have um but we can also do some estimated testing as as well and do some time trials to get their approximate um pacing for lactate threshold and and heart rates um but either way it's just a good starting point if we get some type of of measurement there um and then like i i said earlier i do want to check uh strength and grip i'm kind of throwing those together um, I, I do want to make sure that we we are hitting some minimums, right? We can always add on top of it, but again, I'm checking those buckets sees, to see what what needs the most work. So I, I love looking at hanging strength. I love looking at uh, you know whether it's flex or dead or both. Um, I love looking at farmers carries. I, I just think there's such simple tools. The relative risk uh, of doing those is is low. Sometimes I might do some strength testing. Um, but usually I, I can find a pretty good estimate with, with their grip work if, if we do need to work on more, more strength. Um, but I know lifting is going to be a big part of it. So maybe looking at some deadlifting strength as well um, might be an important um, measurement that we, we keep track of there. Uh, so the, all those are going to be important. Um, you mentioned HRV. I do love tracking HRV. Typically what I'll try and do with clients is we use HRV plus a uh, questionnaire 
just to get an idea of where they're at. I don't live and die by it. It's just some giving giving some information, right? So to see, are we just, because again, like I mentioned, these are the athletes or clients that tend to overdo it, right? They just want to go hard every single time. So just being able to show them a number of, hey, this is not looking great right now. We've been pushing hard. I think I'm not saying you can't work out. I'm just saying, I think we, let's just change some things around, right? Let's incorporate more recovery stuff, um, more recovery style workouts, whatever we need to do to kind of hopefully bring them, bring them back and um, get them back on, on track to, to where we need to be. Um, so I think those, those are kind of some of the big ones that I try to, to, obviously there's a million directions you can go, but without assessing them to death, uh, being able to get some good information with as, as hopefully as minimal uh, tools as we need. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again. And let's get back to the show. You know, I was, I, I was thinking of this question in my head as you were, um, you know, going through it and kind of thinking about, okay, readiness and recovery has got to be big. Cause as you said, these are the hard chargers who kind of are drawn to this sport and I could see where it'd be difficult to get them to back off on volume if they are starting to get overtrained, because they're going to probably try to solve that with, you know, a cryo tank and a massage gun, as opposed to, hey, I'm just going to go and just do some zone two work instead. So how do you, how do you kind of handle that from not only a, a physiological standpoint, but from a psychological standpoint? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the struggle. Um, and I think that's a lot of hard conversations that we have, have sometimes to, to help them see. I this is one of the reasons I really like HRV because at least it's a number because they also usually like numbers, right? Like they like seeing weights go up. They like seeing pacing and things like that. If you just start to see that HRV tank a little bit, hopefully it's starting to show you something's wrong, right? Maybe they're looking resting heart rate and all of a sudden the resting heart rate is pretty high. Like there's some type of stress that's just constantly going in the body and we're not giving it enough time to recovery. So at least just constantly trying to educate them on the whole idea of you're trying, the goal is not to work out, right? The goal is to get better at, at this race or, you know, whatever you're trying to get better at. And I know we all know this, but people just have a really hard time grasping that concept of the magic is in between, right? Of, of better taking care of yourself in between workouts. So you can bounce back um, tracking, you know, tracking things like weights and things like that, just to see, are we, are we progressing or we've been stuck at the same weight or, or rep range or whatever we've been doing for the last month. We just haven't really seen any improvements there. Like something's, something's got to change and just going harder is, is not, not usually the answer. Maybe sometimes um, for the person who's just not pushing themselves, but for a lot of these individuals that, that I tend to see in the, in the OCR world, it's, they're usually the ones that I'm going to push as hard as I can until I give out. And then I'm going to try and push again. And I know the battle I've like kind of stepping into this world and, and trying to, you know, to coach. I know that's the battle I've faced is breaking that mindset, right? Because that is, you know, go big or go home um, pretty much every single day. Um, but I think people are starting to see like, okay, I'm hurt a lot. Um, I'm not seeing improvements in my racing. I'm not seeing improvements in my weights or, or whatever it might be. There's got to be a smarter way to do that, do this. And, and that's really the, the hole I'm trying to fill is just showing people, hey, you can work hard. I'm, I'm not I'm never saying you, you can get there by just recovering all day, right? We have to stimulate the body. But what if we just pay attention to what you're doing otherwise? Um, and like you said, yeah, sure, maybe maybe an ice bath has a purpose or um, you know some other recovery tool. But I think let's look at the big picture first, right? Let's look at nutrition and sleep and and just taking time between workouts of just, hey, I just did a super hard large workout. I can't do one the next day. I can do stuff that's going to help me bounce back. That's going to help me get my closer to my goal. Um, but it's just not going to be the same, same style. So, um, uh, it's always a challenge, but I just think constantly educating our clients on these, these pieces is going to help them. Very cool. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, we were talking a lot about recovery now, in general, what are the most common injuries you see in OCR racing and um, what can you do 
or what can we do as coaches to help minimize the risks of getting one of these injuries? Yeah, I think it's all of them, right? <laughs> that we see everything, uh, that everything you can think of, it seems like uh, people will hurt themselves with. But I think what you're going to see the most common um, shoulders, probably number one, because if we think most people trying to take on some of these events, they, you know, they, they have jobs, they sit a lot, um, those shoulders are tight, they don't move them around a whole lot. Um, you got to hang, right? And you're going to climb and you're hanging with your body weight. And uh, it's, it's a lot if you don't prep that, that joint to do stuff like this. And this is why I like just starting. If you can't hang for one minute, a dead hang, and it, it's not, um, not that that's not hard, but like we can see you're grimacing, maybe that alone hurts, right? Cause, cause your shoulder doesn't want to be in that position. Um, that's going to really tell us a lot of information right there. Like I'm not, we're not going to even tempt some of these training, uh, things like, like monkey bars, even pull-ups, maybe we're, we're not going to do those things, uh, without that foundation underneath it. So I think with shoulders, um, it's really people go right to the obstacle, right? I'm going to go right to monkey bars, do nothing else. I just, I'm going to go to a playground and I'm going to hop on some monkey bars and I do that every day and it hurts now. It's like, of course, right? We haven't built, built that strength in order for you to even support your body weight doing it, right? Like, uh, let's start with farmer's carry. Let's just see if you can even carry a weight before you try and hang, uh, hang your body weight from a bar and, and attempt to move uh, across monkey bars. So, um, so I think with shoulders uh, being probably one of the biggest things I see, it's making sure they have mobility, right? Because if, and again, they don't need to be uh, Gumby and have uh, incredible flexibility, just again, minimums, right? If they can uh, have decent range of motion, then we know, all right, you should be able to get into these positions. Once you get into those positions, now can you support it for a long period of time, right? It's a lot of it is endurance-based, right? If if you're going to get across monkey bars, it takes time. If you're going to climb a rope, it, it, these things just take time. So I just need to know, do you have the endurance to hold yourself? Um, then let's work on, on, on actually moving. So like most things, if, if we just have a good system in place of progression, right? Like just teaching somebody how to squat or deadlift, you know, just not starting with the 500 pound deadlift. Like let's, let's start with um, the hip hinge, right? Or, or making sure there's requisite mobility in, in order to do those things and then build upon that. So trying to take the same same approach where people love to look at the obstacle. How do I get better? I just need to dive head first without looking and, and just try this obstacle out. And that usually causes problems. So um, shoulders, making sure we, we just take that approach there. Uh, the other ones, we're going to see a lot of ankles, I think, uh, most sprains, strains, things like that. It's a lot of people just aren't familiar with trail running. It's not even right. There's going to be rocks, there's going to be roots, there's you're going to go uphill, downhill. Um, and if we're not out doing those things, um, it's it's a little bit tricky, and you're more likely to hurt yourself. But obviously, there's things you can do in the gym from from ankle mobility. Uh, stability work, balance, um, you know, uh, agility training, footwork, just hand-eye, hand-foot coordination, all these different things to just prep those those feet to be able to move and, and um, react to unstable surfaces or just changes in the surface. So, um, so ankles is going to be another big one. Um, and then just a lot of the injuries you see with running, uh, like joint uh, overuse, uh, wear and tear, um, Achilles, patellofemoral issues, uh, and a lot of that, I think, is just be careful with programming, because if they're not a runner and they just go, well, I'm running this this uh, half marathon distance and they just go right for that type of distance and that, that type of volume, um, that's obviously going to lead to some problems there. So just, again, progressing properly that we can support the amount of load that we're going to be putting on with some of these longer distance races uh, is going to be important. So. Um, you know, really, I think the answer is the same for all of these is, is building that foundation uh, and then helping them prep for the end goal where most people just want to go right to the end goal. Right. But no, we're going to you're going to do some single leg work. Right. I, I need to make you strong on one leg because you're going to be running a lot. And um, I need that balance. I need that mobility. I need all those things. Uh, so um, those are probably the most common places you're going to see. But like I said, I've seen probably you know, most joint injuries uh, occur at some point when people kind of dive in a little bit too quickly for a race. Like how many times I've heard somebody say, hey, I just signed up this weekend. What What is an obstacle course race? It's like, okay, 
let's let's take it easy and know when we need to throw in the towel and just say, I'm not going to do this obstacle. I'm going to I'm going to go around this one. I'll do my penalty or whatever. And then and then move on from there. But, you know, people are stubborn and they're just going to do what they want to do uh, sometimes. So as, as you're talking about injuries, I'm, I'm thinking of a bunch of different questions in my head. And, and you brought up kind of that lack of lack of predictability that you're going to going to face. And I could see where that could be a struggle in terms of preparation if people are working in you know in gyms that are 72 degrees with perfect inch and a quarter round bars and treadmills that are in front of tvs that that are nice and flat and smooth all the time and they're kind of these house cats right so to speak and now they're put out Mm -hmm. into the wild and they're not ready for that that uneven terrain they're not ready for that that thing that's not attached to a bar with with a shiny weight to it that they actually have to manage some some stuff that's moving around them or they're moving around it and i don't know if you're going to fix that with a bosu ball though right <laughs> yeah well and, and actually how i like to look at at some of our more like you know strength work is we'll hit the big lifts where you're going to see you know maybe your barbells or or your um dumbbells or you know uh, more traditional type lifts um, to build, you know, they're just great for building strength, right? So we're not going to reinvent the wheel there. We're going to do things that will get you at least to, again, some minimal levels of strength. But then actually a lot of what our training is going to be is, you know, getting out of the sagittal plane, you know, getting in and, and some transverse frontal plane work, using unstable objects. You know, like I love sandbags. I probably use sandbags more than than anything. Um, I, I love, you know, the DVRT system, you know, what, what, um, uh, Josh Hankins done with with his program. I just think it's such a great way to incorporate all these different planes of motion into your traditional training. You know, l- like how many ways you can challenge the lunge, a push, a pull um, in all these different planes of motion. Because you're right, that's where people are going to run into the issues. It's you know, it's when we're kind of thrown off off the norm right when we're we're not just moving forward and backwards we're, we're moving side to side we're getting down crawling um so we're trying to get the body in as many postures as many positions as possible loaded unloaded you know whatever we can handle and then adding some of those unstable in, environment uh or conditions in there to challenge them in, in different ways so uh having some tools that are not uh, easy to hold, I think is, is a great starting point. And we'll, like I said, sandbags will use, um, you know, fat grips, uh, kettlebells, you know, that they're all great. They all have these unique things that we can use to, to challenge that person for, for strength, for grip, stability, uh, whatever it might be. You'll see, you know, they have, uh, like slosh pipes, um, water balls, aqua balls, all these different things that we can use to just challenge that, um, that, uh, kind of, um, predictability, right? I know a, a hundred pound barbell is going to weigh a hundred par- pounds and I'm going to pick it up and put it down, whatever I'm going to do. But if I have a, you know, a hundred pound sandbag, it with maybe not handles, it's, it's going to move and I'm going to have to manipulate and adjust it um, in order to, to carry it, to, to pick it up, to, to throw it, whatever I need to do with it. So incorporating those tools that aren't so easy to do, you know, kind of like the strongman type type events you're seeing a lot of really cool tools uh, that they use that you know we can modify we don't need to be lifting cars and things like that um, but there's some really cool things that we can use to uh, to challenge our ability to manipulate objects that aren't just you know handles and things like that so uh, something i hope everybody is appreciating who's listening to this is the elegance of the complexity that you have to look into when we talk about, you know, looking at are the buckets filled and kind of checking the boxes. There's a lot that you have to handle. And it, there's an art into, you know, you're talking about strength, we have to build a certain amount of maximal strength, meaning we can lift the most as possible, but you also have to have relative strength to your body weight. And then you also have to try to build that strength while not putting on a whole bunch of muscle that's going to be heavier to get over that wall. And then I would imagine the same thing in terms of balancing nutrition. Like we have to have enough fuel that we can do these strenuous activities, but not so much that we're going to add weight and we need to keep it a certain leanness so we can be efficient and effective as there as well. Yeah. And, and the, obviously nutrition is a huge topic in, in itself and there's a million directions you can go, but I, don't think you can really talk about the training without talking about the fueling and whether that be for the workouts or the adaptations that you're looking for 
or with many of these races that I, I think when people are first getting into it, that maybe aren't the endurance type athletes, uh, you need to eat during the race. Like if you're out there for two hours, three hours plus, we need some nutritional support and uh, we need a plan with that. I know how many times the first time I took on a, a you know, half marathon race and I thought I could just throw a couple of goos in my pocket. I'm good to go never tested it. Um, you know, I got, I think the, it was like a margarita flavor who would make a margarita flavored, uh, anything. I don't know. That's the last thing I wanted during a race. Um, I get the salty part, but <laughs> I just wanted to throw up for the rest of the race because I just wasn't ready for something like that. Or you run, you're going, you're like, I'm all good. I don't, I don't need any of these things right now. And then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you're like, Oh crap. Um, I, I can't go on anymore and you can eat all you want, but at that point you're kind of screwed and it, you're going to be hurting for the rest of that race. So coming up with that game plan, we have to incorporate it in the training um, because we're going to have some training sessions. If I'm training for a, you know, a three hour event, I'm going to have to throw in some longer, you know, longer duration uh, activities to help you prepare for, for that. And a lot of it is just practicing your nutrition to know what do you, what's your body handle, right? Not everybody's the same. You might, one person might like this brand, another person that made them run right to the bathroom, right? That's, that's not going to work for them. So we, that's when we practice, play around with it. And then, um, you know, giving all my clients just a system of, okay, here's the nutrition strategy is making sure we have to support the work you're doing. So here's our timing every 30 minutes, every 45 minutes, every six, whatever it is for that person, we need this many grams. This is what that looks like in terms of real food. Let's get that in. And we're just going to stay. You're going to have a watch on. It's going to beep every time it beats. I don't care if you're hungry or not. We need this now. So we're going to get that in. But we've practiced all of that. So when race day comes, they're ready to, to take on those things. And something I, I don't want you to think about it. You think about the obstacles and your strategy and your racing and your pacing. You know, don't think about the nutrition. Your watch beeps, you eat it, and you keep you keep going. But um you know, obviously this, this is another huge piece to this type of training because it is such a long duration event for, for many people that they're not used to, to even thinking about that kind of stuff. Well, this is awesome stuff. And I could tell that you could definitely talk all day about it. And <laughs> I, I hope the, the, the big take homes are for, for two ends of the spectrum that may be listening here for the top end of the spectrum that you know, reads a David Goggins book or, or, you know, looks at one of his posts and says, I'm going to go out and do, you know, the Moab 240 next week with no base of training. And I'm going to do it with a torn ACL. Okay. First realize a, you're not David Goggins. Uh, B is that there with some smart planning, you can do some pretty accomplished things. And then for the other end of the spectrum, for that person who's kind of not really into working out or kind of comes and goes with working out, you know, to your story to say that, that it, it kind of scratches that competitive itch. And if you're looking for something um, that kind of blends a whole bunch of different things, this could be a great avenue. And so uh, uh, this has been really awesome. And, and we're going to definitely uh, put all the links in there because if you're going to do it, you can also hear from, from the last hour of talking, you got to make sure you do it right. So you can do it safely and effectively and, and successfully. And so uh, all that being said, uh, Mike, kind of tell us about uh, what some of the new things you have on the horizon are for, for looking into 2023 and beyond and, and some of the projects you may be working on. Yeah, um, I haven't talked about it too much yet, but my big plan for, well, I'm in the process of actually writing a course um, on, on this to help other coaches specifically help their clients prepare for um, for obstacle course racing and all the different kinds of racing out there. And, you know, basically all the things we talked about and just diving in a little bit deeper. So just to help people out, if they do want to work with clients that um, are, are uh, they're not sure how to, how to help them become better runners or, or what type of strength to do and, and all these different things. So just trying to, after all the years of me doing it, messing up, <laughs> changing it around, trying to find the best, best way, uh, you know, I'm always improving it, but I feel like I have a pretty good system in place that I'm just going to try and uh, put it into a course to, to help others just learn how they might be able to uh, train more efficiently for for these types of races if they want to take them on. That's spectacular. We definitely want to get that information out to our audience and everybody listening. And uh, Mr. Perry, any closing thoughts on your end? No, it was it was just good to hear sort of the, you know, the intricacies of your sort of tactics, right? Because I think a lot of people just don't think about all of these other things. And 
you know, obviously we know you. So as a coach, we know you're going to cover those things, but I think it gives people a little bit more insight on what they truly need to do if they're just going to jump into it. And sure. Could you probably sign up for a short one and, and bang it out and get through it? Yes. But um, you know, having a, having a little bit of a strategy goes a long way. And, and I think you gave uh, everybody, you know, some really simple guidelines and, and just some tips so that if they do attempt to do an OCR race, uh, they're going to have, they're going to be a little bit more prepared. Hopefully if they actually listened to your advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm telling you, Eric, one day you're, you'll catch the bug, right? <laughs> if you do one, it's just Let me so video common. Tape. If you the get time. the Gotti, if you can get the Gotti to do an obstacle course race, please let me know. Cause I will hire I will hire a full-time film crew to follow him for the duration of the event. Just put a All cannoli right, at gonna... the top of the hill, Perry, and I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> there we go. I think we'll just have a good incentive at the finish line uh, for him. But um, so most people that do it, they catch that bug. And I think that's, yeah, like you said, you can get through. If you're relatively fit, I think you'll be totally fine. That's why I'm saying go out, have fun. If you don't feel comfortable doing something, just don't do it. But I think when people catch the bug and they're like, I'm going to do one like every other month. That's that's when I think let's be smart about it and and plan a little bit better. But we'll we'll, we'll talk more, Eric. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, no, we'll we'll definitely we got to dive deeper because there's so much stuff we didn't even touch on from from gear to footwear to how you manage yeah. temperatures and all those sorts of things to breathing yeah. and yep. like so we'll have to come back for a part two when you release that course. But we want to thank uh, you, Mr. Diebler, for for your time and your expertise. We want to thank you all for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance podcast. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.